I'm Andrew Maglio. And I'm Rebecca Fleischman. Welcome to today's episode of Conard Current. On today's episode of Conard Current, we hear from a variety of students on how their first day back went. We hear two Conard students discuss two virtual major party conventions. And news on CIAC's response to coronavirus. This is Conard Current. The segments of this podcast are all pre-recorded. The situation may have changed by the time you are hearing it. Today, the first group of Conard students returned to the classroom in person. That's right. The student body was split into two groups via last name, A through K comprising the first cohort and L through Z defining the second. With this new hybrid model, the amount of students in the building is drastically reduced by only allowing half in on any particular day. Or, parents could opt for their child to go completely virtual. With us here today are four students, two who went to school virtually and two who went to school physically. Let's hear from our in-person students first, then we'll transition to our virtual learners. Could you say your name, grade, and how you went to school today? Um, my name is Lillian Fletcher. I am a freshman and I'm in the red cohort, so I went to school physically today. My name is Elizabeth Zare. I'm in 10th grade, and I went to school online today. My name is Emery Budak. I'm a 12th grader, and today I went to school in person. And how do you feel about this being your first day of high school? Um, it wasn't really all that exciting. I expected it to be a little more exciting, but since, you know, COVID, just it's a little different than I thought. So Emery, how was your last first day of high school? Uh, it's kind of a crazy thought, you know, it's something that I wouldn't expect, especially since, you know, with this whole COVID-19 thing going on, it kind of feels like everything's going by in a blur, but I hope that I can, you know, really enjoy high school and I hope to make a good senior year out of it. Did you feel safe in the building today? Uh, did you have any concerns as you progressed throughout the day? Uh, yeah, I definitely felt safe in the building. I think the safe, by safety terms, everything was pretty good. Teachers did a good job of, you know, letting everyone know to keep their masks on. And then there were plenty of like sanitation devices and stuff like hand sanitizer in classes. I think the one-way hallways were also a good, good addition. I think maybe it'll take a week or two for everyone to get like accustomed to those. Because even myself, I was kind of unsure of whether or not some sections of the building were one-way hallways or not. But um, yeah, in a week or two, I think everything should be even better and functioning smoothly. And did anything happen that surprised you today that you weren't prepared for before coming? Well, when everyone like got out to catch their buses, all the social distancing stuff from class just kind of went out a window. And since the space up there is pretty small, I don't blame them, but yeah. Actually, one thing that did surprise me was just how small some of the class sizes were. Personally, for my last class, I had AP Lit with only five people, since the um, alphabet scheduling thing can kind of divvy up the class size quite a bit. But uh, it was kind of fun, so. Lizzie, how did your online classes go? Uh, were there any technical hiccups? It was good. I 
didn't think there were any technical hiccups. I think one time my teacher accidentally got like kicked out of the Google Meet, but that was fixed really quickly and everything went pretty mm -hmm. smoothly. Well, that sounds good. Uh, did you feel safer behind the screen today rather than having to manage in-person guidelines? Um, because I haven't been physically in school yet, I don't know how that would feel, but I don't know if I would necessarily feel unsafe. I obviously have to see how all of the protocols and everything are. Yeah. Um, and then personally, do you think that this type of learning is sustainable? Um, I do think it is sustainable. I think having all of my teachers seem to have a very well put together Google Classroom with like all of the assignments and it's all very well organized and I think if that's how it is throughout the entire school with all of the teachers it does seem like something we would be able to sustain for the year or however long. I agree. Well thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. No problem. Thank you Andrew. Three weeks ago, the Democratic National Convention captured the nation's attention by being the first ever completely virtual major party convention, where they nominated former Vice President Joe Biden for president. One week later, the GOP hosted their annual Republican National Convention, re-nominating President Donald Trump for a second term. Today, we have two senior members of the Conrad Association for Political Debate here to discuss their takes on how these two historic conventions went. Hello to both of you. Could each of you introduce yourselves and maybe say a bit about yourself? Sure, I'm Ryan. I've been interested in politics for an awfully long while and I've had a lot of fun the past several months tracking the elections and the campaigns leading up to the 2020 presidential US election. And my name's Jance. Unlike Ryan, my friend, I've had um, a breadth of experience just uh, following politics for many years and I've liked commentating on it, and I look forward to having the opportunity on this podcast. Nice. So we'll just jump right into it. Um, and the first question you both can respond to, but I guess Ryan can answer first and then Jance, and that would be, how would you gauge the success of both conventions? What do you think was especially effective or ineffective about each? Yeah, so I'll start. I think that starting with the Democratic Convention. I thought that what the Democratic Convention did a very good job of was really identifying what the what the sort of clash, so to speak, is in this election. And Biden was very explicit about this, even in his speech that he gave uh, the final night of the convention. He was very explicit in saying that the, the choice that Americans have before them is extremely obvious, just in terms of two very different ways of looking um, towards the future of the nation. But I think that what the Democratic Convention also did a good job of was really emphasizing who Biden is as a person. There's been a lot of, obviously, turmoil within the Democratic Party, not just this election cycle, but in previous election cycles, also in 2016, in terms of having a fairly uh, left-wing progressive uh, section sort of led to a certain extent by Bernie Sanders in a more moderate section that was sort of the base of Biden's group. And I think that what the, the, the Democratic Convention did a reasonably good job of was focusing less on the divide within the party internally than focusing on the strength of Biden's character. I think that by contrast, what the Republican Convention um, did that was interesting, at least in my view, was less of a focus on the sort of upside, so to speak, of Trump's first four years in office and focused more upon fear-mongering to a certain extent about what the far-left socialists in the Democratic Party would do if they seized office. I think that at the same time, um, 
there was some interesting emphasis within the Republican convention on Trump as a character and Trump as a person. But I think that the contrast between the two conventions in terms of demonstrating the character strengths seem to go more to the Democrats. Well, I think I think it was it, I think it had more to do with narratives, right? So when you look at the when you looked at the DNC, the DNC was effectively trying to push three narratives, right? National unity, leadership, and COVID, right? And their idea is these are the three these are the three narratives that benefit Democrats, right? Consistently, you see in polling, if the election were just about um, just about who was the better leader, who um, who who could best manage COVID, the Democrats would win easily, right? That just just generally polling wise, it would be an easy victory for Democrats, and that was a message that they kept trying to punch through. When it comes to the RNC, I would slightly disagree with Ryan, and the reason why I disagree is I don't think it's necessarily a point for for the RNC. It very much it very much tried to come down as a choice, right? So it wasn't that they didn't mention uh, Trump's Trump's um, Trump's so called so Trump's so called upsides, right? So there would consistently be efforts to sort of paint Trump in a lighter view, sort of get his favorables up. So if you watch the RNC, there would be moments where. Uh, where where Trump, where they would talk about how Trump freed hostages in foreign countries, right? Uh, or some things Trump did help people in the medical field, like fast track medicines or 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 whatever, right? It's essentially trying to paint Trump as a guy who got things done, right? That was one of their main narratives. And another narrative, like Ryan said, which I agree, is is it comes down to the choice narrative, which is like him or not, Trump gets things done. The Democrats, on the other hand, just they pander to their base. They pander to they pander to rioters. They pander to looters. Right. That was the essential message. It, it was a choice election. And for most uh, viewers, many people didn't sit down and watch um, every night of each convention. So I would ask both of you, um, what would you say if you had to pick one moment that encapsulated both conventions? What would you say each of them were? Well, I, I will say. Um, I will say for the DNC, I think there were several moments. I think, for example, Bernie Sanders did almost an excellent job, right? So when you're in Bernie Sanders' position, right, it's – well, what what Sanders has done, right? Actually, I think Trump referred to him in, in the uh, – when he was opening the RNC as the most uh, – most, what was it? The most – uh, the most gracious loser or something along those lines. Um, and I think that's a perception of Bernie, but – I do think what he's been able to do effectively is get get his policies through behind the scenes while conveying party unity publicly, and I think he did that almost to an extraordinary degree uh, in his speech in the DNC. And I think I don't think enough people noticed that. I think he did an effective job with that. Other than that, the obvious highlights I think would have been uh, Michelle Obama, uh, Barack Obama. I think both of them made different different speeches in tone, I believe, but. They both made pretty effective, um, uh, pretty effective speeches, and I think, like Ryan said earlier, Joe Biden's speech. I think he did knock it out of the park in terms of not just expectations. I think he delivered a a good rhetorical speech, a good speech in terms of rhetoric, and I think he said an effective message. For the RNC, um, it's hard to come up specifically with one sort of clear highlight for me because I think all the speakers kind of delves into dis- different aspects of the same narrative, which is either, which is a choice election. Joe, Joe Biden and the, is following the radical left and the radical left have made things worse. Um, or, and, and a support for President Trump being a competent leader. 
right? So it's hard to pick apart, uh, at least for me, a specific highlight for the RNC. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that with the Republican convention, I, at least for me, it's hard to pick a moment that I would say was the defining moment of the convention. The sort of few things that I'd note, though, I, I think the first thing is that Pence's speech, regardless of its its sort of strategic um, effect on voters or whatever, I think encapsulated a fairly significant portion of the message that came out of the RNC, which is that Trump is to some extent the sort of law and order candidate and Biden is, you know, someone that maybe has sympathizers in the far left or rioters, looters, etc., with sort of drawing parallels to what's been happening in this nation the, fa- the past um, few months. But I think that one of the other things that was not a specific event, but more a general theme throughout the RNC that I thought was a very strategically smart move for the RNC was that they had lots of um, instances of, of videos with Trump that were uh, obviously pre-recorded and weren't live. So for example, there were videos um, involving Trump having discussions with healthcare workers. And they were reasonably uh, helpful, I think, for the Republican aim, in large part because Trump has a tendency, sometimes at least, in live speeches to wind up going on tangents of some sorts or to kind of get uh, sort of kind of go on long rants of sorts. And for his base, that's really effective. But it's not necessarily as effective with people that might be on the margins. But seeing a more perhaps compassionate or a sort of less um, volatile version of Trump, I think, was effective for the RNC, even if it wasn't a singular moment. I think that also Melania's speech was interesting in that it presented a sort of different angle to the convention. So it's sort of another example for me. I think that for the Democrats, um, there were a number of moments for me. I thought that first and foremost, uh, Obama's speech, which actually was quite interesting. Um, for a variety of reasons, really. But one of the big ones is that if you watch uh, his speech or even listen to snippets of it, his style and even the way he presents the speech is very different than the way he presents a lot of other speeches. It's a bit more impassioned than a lot of his speeches normally are. And that's not that he's screaming, of course. Um, It wasn't like that was the type of speech he gave. But it was certainly a targeted speech. And it was one of the very first times that he'd actually publicly called out Trump and mentioned Trump by name, something that um, he had historically been more reluctant to do, um, just in terms of the times that he had mentioned Trump directly or explicitly. So I think that Obama's speech was a, a, a great contrast, at least in my view, uh, from the Democrats' perspective between the character that Joe Biden brings in terms of a, fa- you know, a, a single father that raised his children and went through enormous struggles but still has been able to do so much good for the world um, in comparison to what, to what Trump did. And then obviously, as Jan's mentioned, I'm in full agreement. I think that the sort of huge moment for the Democrats was um, Joe Biden's acceptance speech um, on that final night. It was, a, it was a big moment for them, and it was sort of perhaps the largest response in a rather resounding manner to accusations of him being senile or unfit for office. And so I think that the big thing that a lot of voters, at least in my guess, will take away from the, uh, uh, the DNC is the powerful message that was sent by Joe Biden, um, even if everything else doesn't have as much effect. Well, I want to thank both of you very much for coming on the podcast today and offering your insights on these very historic conventions. And we'll continue to see how um, they both manifest their effects in the coming months. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. In each episode, we will also cover some quick news items in our community. This week, we are discussing the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference's decision concerning fall sports. CAS-CIAC Executive Director Glenn Lungarini stated, CIAC made every effort to weigh all factors in this decision, including the passionate voices of students, parents, and school personnel and ultimately made the determination to align its decision with the recommendations of the Governor's Office and DPH to not hold high-risk sports at this time.
For those sports that are allowed to continue, the competitive season remains precarious and health guidelines stringent. However, this past Monday the 21st of September, the CIAC has now permitted teams all across the state of Connecticut to resume full group practices. The situation continues to remain fluid. Be sure to check with the Connor Current for the most updated findings. Well, that about does it for today's episode of Connor Current. If you want to stay up to date on Connor's current happenings, check out our webpage at www.connorcurrent.com. The link is in the description. If you're interested in being on Connor Current, whether it be to advertise an event or just to get in on a scoop, sign up using the form on that same webpage. We can also be reached at theconnorcurrent at gmail.com. And with that, I'm Rebecca Fleischman. And I'm Andrew Maglio. This was Connor Curry.